0: Fantastic! We are going through the Book of Colossians, and this is one of Paul's letters. And uh, we have our bookshelf up here. Of the Bible is a collection of different books, sixty-six different books within this one book that we call the Bible. And one of these sixty-six is called Colossians. And if you look at this digital of Colossians. You can see where it fits. It's one of Paul's letters. And Paul is writing letters to different churches, different cities, really, and the church in that city. So every week I'm going to give you just little little tidbits of things about Colossae, which is the place that he's writing to a people called the Colossians. So if, if he was writing a book to Chico, it would be called uh, Chicoans, right? To the church in Chico, right? Grace and peace to you. From our Lord Jesus Christ, right? He would say. So the book of Colossians is a very simple division, right? Two parts. Doctrine in chapters 1 and 2, which means what's true about God and about us and about the world. And how you walk it out in chapters 3 and 4. This is very similar to a book called Ephesians, which is another book that Paul writes to the people in Ephesus, the people of Ephesus, where you have 1, 2, and 3 is doctrine, and 4, 5, and 6 is how you walk it out. Now, I say walk it out, but what we see in Colossians 1 is he's praying for the people in Colossae so that they will live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing Good fruit and every good work growing in the knowledge of God. Um, and we see something similar in Ephesians 4. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have redeemed, or received. That word is not live. It's walk. Peripito, right? To walk. It's how is your walk with Jesus, as my friend Don Rogers would always ask me. How's your walk with Jesus? How are you living in this relationship, right? So I know some people that have surrendered to Jesus and yet they're not really walking with him. So Paul's desire is for us to walk with Jesus every single day, every single moment, living by faith, not by sight. And so this, another little fact about this letter, it is a subversive letter. Now, my friends at InterVarsity loaned me a book uh, that's called Colossians Remixed. And this is a book that explains the context, the historical context of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and what was going on there. What, What was going on there, Andrew? Glad you asked. We have the Roman Empire that has come in and dominated that area like so many other areas. Even the place that we where Judea and these other areas in the modern world. And so, as Paul is writing this letter, he's saying some things that's pretty subversive to the empire. What kinds of things? Well, when you call Jesus the Savior, do you know that Caesar was proclaimed as the Savior? That he was going to put an end to all war. That sounds a little bit like Isaiah 9-6. That Jesus is the prince of peace and the government will, will, will be on his shoulders. And so as Paul is writing these things in the, in the cultural context, this is like, like, a, like a hand grenade of controversy. Like, wait a second, you can't say that because we worship Caesar as a god. How else is this a a subversive letter? He talks about making peace through the blood of Jesus who died on the cross. Well, why is this subversive? This seems like a no big deal. Because of Pax Romana, this lie that the Roman Empire pushed out that said, we're going to come in, we're going to totally defeat you, we're going to dominate you, we're going to take all your resources, but we're going to call it peace and we're going to give you peace. And so, what Rome needed in order to exploit a province, an area economically, was above all the provision of infrastructure. So, they built roads and Bridges and other things. Why? So that they could get all the resources back to Rome. And then they would exploit through taxes and tolls. Eventually, when you couldn't pay, they would just take your land too. This was a lie. So anybody who's claiming peace is coming against the empire. How else? This word gospel means good news. I think somebody even said it earlier this morning. You and Galleon, this is actually the same term that the Roman Empire reserves for announcements of military success and pronouncements of the emperor. So, talking about sharing the gospel is like counter cultural completely. It's saying, no, we're not going to serve the emperor, we're going to serve Jesus. He's our true king. Maybe one last one fruitfulness. Now, this idea of fruitfulness is all throughout the Old Testament. Jesus talks about it. It, God's really clear that we are, when we submit to him, we look to him for sustaining. But the Roman Empire didn't say that. There was a claim of fruitfulness and fertility rooted in the empire and it called everyone to acknowledge Rome as the source of fruitful abundance. Rome was saying it's all about the empire. You serve the emperor. You serve him as king. You begin to live your life in a way that will reflect the empire. In fact, we'll send apostles who will change the culture in every province so it will look like Rome. So much so... That will make sure that the Romans, um, that the emperor's image is on all of the money that you use. On all the walls, there'll be statues. When you go to the gymnasium, it will be there. When you go to the market, you'll see figurines and statues of the emperor. Everywhere you go, Rome wants to be front and center saying, we are the answer. There is no other answer except for Rome. And you will give your lives to us and your money And your time, and we will make you slaves, and you will like it. And I believe this is a lot like the world that we live in today. I think this world of consumerism and comfort and self-centeredness calls to you and says, you know what? You just serve yourself, and you'll be just fine. And yet, the truth is that there is a lie. The lie is that the empire will fill the hole in your heart, because... Wearing the right clothes, being in the right relationship with the right significant other, having all the money, having the success, accomplishing what you've dreamed about, will always leave you wanting. You always have a hole in your heart that cannot be filled with anything else except for the one who has peace that the world doesn't give, and that's Jesus. So this morning, uh, we are going to look at a a subversive piece of poetry and a subversive letter. Subversive, if you don't know what that word means, it means you're undermining, undercutting, making difficult, um, casting doubt on something. And so here, the idea of a hymn, you know, in the old days, we would would sing hymns and they were in hymnals in the pew rack in front of you, and you'd pull it out, and you, you would say, turn to hymn 355, right? Now, this idea of a hymn didn't start in the last century or the century before that. Hymn is actually, there's a Greek word for this, hymnos, and it means to praise, but it means not just to praise Chuck, to say, Chuck, good job, that would be praise, but hymnos is to praise something other than humans. This is, this is used for God worship and other things. Even emperor worship might be have a hymn And so there was, in in history, the younger Pliny wrote to the emperor and said, The Christians meet on a certain fixed day before it was light. That fixed day would be Sundays. And they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God. Now, Pliny's trying to figure out, what do I do with these Christians? He's asking the emperor. So this idea, we even see it in um, Colossians 3.16 where we're singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, giving praise to God. And so, this morning, we're going to look at a hymn in Colossians here to teach you that there's nothing to fear. Because in those days, they were so, so fearful. Their society was filled with fear. Does that sound a little bit like today? We'll unpack that the reasons why the Colossians were fearful, really, in the next three weeks, in each of the next three weeks. But um, we're going to go verse by verse. And so if you have your Bible, or I'll put verses on the screen. um, This is a new international version. We're going to back up just two verses, because some people think this poem maybe starts in verse 13. And uh, so just reminding you from last week, for he jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins so this language here rescued kingdom redemption this is all the language that was used back in the for exodus How the people of God were rescued from Egypt and they were moved. This Greek word literally means to take a people group and move them to one area to another. The idea that you're moving from the kingdom of darkness or dominion of darkness to a kingdom of the son that the father loves. And this morning at the end of the message, I will invite you uh, to give your life to Jesus. And move from the kingdom of darkness that has a hold on your life to a kingdom of light where you have freedom. Now, I've been a little intimidated this week. I just have to be honest with you because N.T. Wright, scholar, New Testament scholar, says this, about the next six verses of the letter are generally and rightly reckoned among the most important Christological, meaning the stuff about Jesus, passages in the New Testament. No pressure, we're all counting on you. Here's the most important six verses in the whole New Testament, right? And it's so rich that... We won't be able to do it fully justice. But I just want to give you some feelings and pictures and ideas because this is all about how great Jesus is. It all points to the supremacy, the number one of Jesus Christ over all things. Colossians 1.15 reads this way. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, if you're new to faith, you might say, "Uh, what do those things mean exactly? Well, the image of the invisible God in Greek philosophy, the image has a share in the reality that it reveals. So it could be said to be that thing. It wasn't like a a copy, like a facsimile or reproduction. But if you had the image, then you, you were very much the same essence, So, from the Greek side, there's that. Now, I mentioned last week how there is this effort by Paul to address those who are, let's say, from the Gentile Greek side as well as the Jewish side. So, this also connects to Proverbs 8, where we see wisdom personified. And this is, they would call this the image, scholars back in the New Testament day, would say this is the image of God. And so there's verses like, I was there when he set the heavens in place and I was the craftsman at his side. And so the image of God is God himself saying Jesus is God himself. It's the same thing we see in John 1 where where Jesus is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and nothing has come into being that has come into being. So there's this sense of this... This togetherness with the Father and the Son, even before time. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now you might say, now wait a second, he was born first? Uh, Well, let's unpack this word for a second. So firstborn doesn't mean that he was created first, or born first in time. In fact, Jesus was not created at all. He's in essence God. Firstborn, this is a title that belongs to Jesus, as a descendant of the kingdom of David. So uh, the son of David, he's oftentimes called in, the, in the, the Gospels. And where does this come from? In Psalm 89, verse 27, it says, I will also appoint him, meaning the Messiah, Jesus, my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. So this is, the emphasis is on Christ ruling and reigning in his supremacy and his closeness to the Father, not that he was actually born first in time. So first in rank and importance, firstborn. All right, verse 16, that was a lot, huh? Verse 16, for in him all things were created. All things, all things, all things, all things, all things. When you read this book, Paul is really trying to let you know it's all things. Not some things, not maybe some things, it's all things, all things. So wait a second, for in him, Jesus, all things were created. Oftentimes we think, no, but Jesus wasn't born until later. However, John 1, as well as this passage, tells us that Jesus existed long before he took the form of a baby and grew up to be a man and died on a cross, rose again, and then ascended into heaven. So he is a creating Jesus. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. How many things are those? all things. That was a trick question, right? In all things, he created all things. So that covers everything. Earth, heaven, visible, invisible, all the things. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We'll talk a lot more about these powers in future weeks. Um, These powers can be the empire, right, of their day, Roman empire for sure. But behind the Roman Empire, were these spiritual realities that were very powerful. Thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. These are actually words that are used in Jewish literature other places. Dr. Michael Heiser says this in his book on angels. Most of Paul's terms for the powers of darkness describe geographical rulership. There's a realm or an area that these... That these Spirit beings are ruling over or having influence. The word choices make good sense given the content of Deuteronomy 32 8 and 9 and Psalm 82. If you've been reading the unseen realm along with me, this will be very familiar to you that there are these rulers that are uh, behind the scenes pulling the strings. There is so much going on that we don't realize, and we oftentimes think we're fighting against people, but Paul's really clear. Uh, he's, in Ephesians, he says, "Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the rulers uh, of darkness in, in heavenly places." so So there is this Jen get me one, one slide back. I got myself in a pickle for in him." All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, even those things that you think maybe are like going head to head with Jesus. Nope. All things have been created through him and for him. He created those beings. There's no way that it's even a fair fight if he's going head to head with them. So, Colossians 1.17. He is before all things. This is what we're talking about. The, the, Jesus existing before time began with God, creating with God the Father. He's before all things. And in him, all things, there it is again, right? It's just going to be like a broken record. All things hold together. Now, some of you have heard uh, our friend Louis Giglio talk about uh, laminin. It's called the glue of life. It's this protein. And um, it's Raphael Reyna who wrote this book, on biochemistry and the gospel, who says, "...the structure and operation of biochemical systems provide some of the most potent support for a creator's role in fabricating living systems." And Reina would say, well, it's sure, this protein, when you look at it at the molecular level, it has the form of a cross. It's more actually amazing that the way that God created it is so efficient to be able to attach to other, molecule, other parts of the molecule. It's brilliant. And, and this is what he says, you know, if you want to use this as proof that, that you know, there is a, a creator God, there's better proof than that, guys. You're, going, you're stopping short. He would say this in his book. It's, uh, if you want to read the books, uh, The Cell's Design, How Chemistry Reveals the Creator's Artistry. And he says, the recent recognition that the genetic code possesses a unique capacity to resist errors, that's amazing right there by itself, caused by mutation imparts the biochemical intelligent design argument with an entirely new level of credibility. Like a giant SOS shaped with letters ablaze, the optimal nature of the genetic code signals that an intelligent agent used those rules to start and sustain life. And you're like, Andrew, that was a lot of words. In other words, the designer is showing his fingerprints over and over. As you get closer and closer to the cellular level, you see intelligent design and proof that there is a designer. End of sermon. Okay, great. So it's really exciting stuff. If you love science, I want to release you into reading about this and going after it. Even if others in your little circle don't. Go be a student. Go be a nerd like me. Colossians 1.18 then says, And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. Let's stop right there for a second. So being the head was oftentimes in Greek philosophy, was like the source. It was, It's the decision-making power. It's where your life comes from. It's what directs you. And here we see Christ is the head and we, the church, are the body. In Ephesians, it talks more about us being the body. In Colossians, it talks more about Jesus being the head and supreme over all. We see all of it put together in Romans, in the book of Romans. But so he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Do you see the repetition? It's all about him being number one. He's supreme over all things. By the way, this word and is not there in the Greek. I'm going to nerd out on you for a second. Why is that important? Because firstborn from among the dead should then explain what the beginning means. Okay, so um, now the beginning. Why is this interesting? Well, there's a lot of reasons why it's interesting, but I want to just point this out. He, Christ, is the beginning in verse 18. It was proclaimed that Caesar was equal to the beginning of all things, and he restored order, and it was the beginning of life and vitality. I just want you to see how... What Paul is doing is subverting what the empire is saying. He's saying, you know what? You've heard these things, but they're not true. Colossians 1.19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. A better translation would be, God was pleased to set up permanent residence in him. This fullness we also see it in Colossians two nine. We're kind of jumping ahead in the book. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, the godness, lives in bodily form. So you have a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man dwelling together in Jesus. His deity, his godness, is not overwhelmed or ruined by his humanity, and his deity does not squash. His humanity so that he ends up becoming Superman and we can't relate to him. He's perfectly balanced as deity in bodily form. Oh my gosh, this is so great. And this is Jesus. In Christ, you have been brought, you, me, those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, we've been brought to fullness. This is a perfect tense verb. It is always going to be true. We'll be in a space of fullness. We'll talk about fullness in a minute. He is the head over every power and authority. These words, once again, these are for evil spirits and the spiritual world, which the Colossians are fighting against. And we're going to see that over and over. By the way, this is what my, fr- my friend Dr. Clint Arnold says. This is a great book, by the way, called Powers of Darkness. This is all about these words, about principalities and powers in Paul's letters. He's talking about fullness. And he says, we, the believer, must appropriate this fullness. Well, what do you mean? Clint, Paul found it necessary to pray that the Ephesians would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So while God's fullness is certainly available to the believer, it's got to be received and used. Belief and prayer become highly important factors in appropriating these resources. We got to continue to go after God and say, God, fill me up, fill me up, Holy Spirit. I want you to take control. I don't want to control things. I don't want to call the shots. I want you to call the shots. And the more we surrender, the more that we're filled, the more that he expands our soul so that we can carry more of his love, more of his grace, more of his power to be able to give it away to the world and live out this life and walk the way Jesus wants us to walk with him. Well, Colossians 1.20 says this, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, both by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's interesting now we're talking about peace coming from the Roman Empire's way to punish a criminal. Another subversive opportunity. Yeah, even through the cross, even through your way of executing people, Jesus' peace comes. And we know that to be true. We'll talk about that in a second, how he died on the cross to help us. Colossians 1:21. Once you were alienated from God, you were far from him, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death on a cross to present you wholly in his sight, meaning cleansed, without blemish and free from accusation. This once-now language is very common in the first century. It was this, and now it's this. What is it showing? Transformation. This is what Jesus wants to do. If you give your life to him, if you surrender to him, he will transform you from the inside out. You don't have to come and clean everything up so that you can come to him. He says, just come as you are. And once I give you the gift of my Holy Spirit— you begin to have all the power and love and the strength that you need to be able to actually walk this out. And there's two analogies here. Blemish, this is the idea of the sacrificial lamb and and being purified and cleansed and, and then the judicial system, being free from accusation. And if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, This is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So what is the gospel? What is this good news that we all must decide to respond to? Well, got a few little slides here. It's An old illustration, but with new pictures. So imagine... You and I and all the rest of us people, were uh, over here on your left. And we have been separated from God. He's the cloud on the right. I couldn't figure out what picture to have for God, so I just did a cloud. That's a little weird, but go with it. Our sins have separated us from God. That's what Isaiah 59.2 says. For all have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3 says. So, there's this chasm between us and God. And as we look at this chasm, there's a lot of people that try to earn their way across. So, as a kid who grew up in the 70s, I thought Evil Knievel was so cool. Does anyone know who Evil Knievel is? Okay. Everybody who's like 40 or above, right? So for those of you who are younger, Evo Knievel was this crazy daredevil that like dressed up in this red and red, white and blue outfit. Very cool with like tassels off of his jacket and a big cool helmet. And he would jump his motorcycle over like school buses and cars. And and then he, I think at some point he did the Snake River Canyon, right Donnie? I think it was a Snake River Canyon. And um, he broke like every bone in his body along the way trying to do these crazy things. But even like I can imagine a lot of people are like, they get on their evil Knievel bike and they're like, I'm going to do so many great things that I'm going to actually get to God by doing good things. And the world will tell you, oh yeah, if you do enough good things, more good things than bad things, you'll go to heaven. And it's a really nice story, but it's not what God says. It's not what's in the Bible. It's definitely not what Jesus said. And I wouldn't trust your life to that if I were you. The Bible tells a different story. It says, there's, there's nothing you can do. There's no way that you can earn or deserve getting across that, Ephesians 2 says. In fact, Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death. So wages is what you earn, right? So how do you live your life? Well, I earned death. I earned being, not only dying at the end of my life, but being separated from God. And sin, the idea of doing the wrong thing has separated us from God and it puts us on a path toward death and separation from him. But this is the most beautiful word in this whole scripture. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's saying, you're not going to earn or deserve this. I'm going to give this to you. You know, when I proposed to my wife and I put the ring on her finger And she said yes. She didn't get her pocketbook out and say, great, now I'm going to pay you back for your ring. And like, right? She was just super happy. A gift and wages are very different. And yet, in this case, the gift of God is eternal life. And this really comes because of Jesus. Now, this is my attempt to show the cross bridging the gap of our sin between where we are and where God is. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by or through me. In other words, there's not a lot of bridges. There's not a lot of ways. There's one way. This is the part why people don't like Jesus. Because he's exclusive. Yes, he is. There's one way. Anybody telling you otherwise is trying to sell you something. I always go with what Jesus says. Always 100% of the time. So there's an opportunity, but just because there's an opportunity doesn't mean that you've crossed the bridge. It doesn't mean that you actually have a future with God, something that you can hold on to. It's it's up to you how you respond to this information. And so it's as if we're standing on the one side and deciding, and you might be standing on the edge right now trying to decide whether this is gonna hold you. I've been to the Grand Canyon. And there's those little platforms you walk out on. How many ever, people have ever done that, right? It's freaky. You're like, wait a second. This is like a sheer drop off. And I'm, I'm going to trust this. Like who built this? And is it good enough? And like you, you just you want to like go talk to the engineer before you, you actually trust it. And this is what Jesus is, this is what God's asking for. Saying, will you trust me? Will you stand out and bet your life that I am who I say I am? And he's calling you to that today. Will you trust me? Will you surrender to the point where your full weight is resting on me? That there's no going back. Here I am. God hears my life. He's looking for you to surrender your life so that you can gain his life in return. And John 5 says this, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him, by the way, this word believe is probably better trust to put my full confidence in him. has eternal life, will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. That's a fun word play, isn't it? Crossed over. This is where I am. I'm standing on the promises of Jesus. I've bet my entire life on him. If I'm wrong, I'm falling into the canyon. But everything in my experience has said that this is worth me risking my life for. So I have given Jesus my life. It's the best decision I ever made. I, I, I will never regret it. I'm not missing out on things because I decided to follow Jesus because he's the one who has life to the fullest. And that's why we exist as a church, to experience and share that life to the fullest that Jesus comes to bring us. And so where are you today? Are you on the edge still checking out this bridge and trying to figure it out? Most people, they need a little time to think about it. But for those of us who are standing on Jesus, we're standing firm. We know that if we were to die today, we would be fully with God forever. And this is why celebrating Jim and Marianne this week will be such a blessing. Because it's just see you later. We'll see you guys later in heaven. So where are you this morning? So I want to lead you in a prayer. Just a short prayer. There's nothing magical about it. Just... I want to challenge you. If you're on a, in a place where you're ready to take that step, you're like, you know, you've been looking at this bridge for a while. You've been thinking about Jesus. You've been trying to figure out if this is worth it. And you heard this and it finally clicked. I would love for you to pray this prayer. And so you could just pray these, these words. Just repeat after me quietly. Jesus, I believe that you came and you died for me. So today I give you my life. I surrender to you. I want to walk with you. And I want to experience your full life. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you. For dying for me. And Holy Spirit, come and live inside me. And change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we would love to have a conversation with you. and. Um, this is the way we'll do it. Actually, come and talk to me. I'm not too scary, I promise. Even though I've got this microphone that comes out of my ear. I'm not a robot. But I would love to talk to you. We've got a little gift for you. No one's going to surround your house with 100 missionaries with big black Bibles. But I know someone gave their life to Jesus this morning. We've been praying for you all week. Um, and you, didn't, you might not even know that you were going to be here this morning. But God did. And so this is a big deal and a first step for you and we would love to help you walk in that. Great. Some of you heard this prayer and said, man, I need a fresh start. Like, I'm, I need to just a refresh on my relationship with Jesus. And what I'm going to invite you to do is come down and receive prayer from the prayer team this morning. Just say, you know what? I need a refresh. It doesn't mean that You know, it just means that you're like, no, I want to recommit myself. This is where I'm at. We would love to pray for you. So, prayer team, you're on the spot. This is a great opportunity for you to get to pray with folks. Okay, we're going to transition, and then I'll I'll have folks um, come forward for prayer and stuff like that. But Chris Ballant, you are here somewhere, I trust. Uh, And if he's not, then I will do this. So, we have Bonnie, right? Bonnie, come on up. Oh, Bonnie girl. We're so proud of you. So I'm going to give you this microphone. It's not too scary. Um, So you graduated, Mm -hmm. right? And you are going to head off on an adventure. Tell us where you're going.
1: Okay, so I'm going to Arizona for college. I'm going to attend Universal Tech for welding. So I'm going to be heading out there on Saturday, leaving my mom and my sister's. But yeah, I'm really excited to start a new journey and grow up. (laughs) Now,
0: have you done welding before?
1: Yeah, I did it all four years of high school and it's what I like. So I knew that's what I wanted to do. How
0: many women welders are there out there?
1: Um, not a lot. I went to the orientation and there was no girls that I saw. So I'm just hoping that there's girls in my class.
0: That would be great. (laughs) So we can pray for that. Anything else you'd like us to pray for? Now, where exactly is this uh, place? Um,
1: It's in Avondale, like right outside.
0: Southern California. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay.
1: And uh, yeah, I just hope for safe travels and just a smooth journey and Yeah.
0: Great. Um, So, why don't we have you come down here, and we'll release all y'all to come and pray for her in a minute. Just stand right there. Uh, Prayer folks, if you'd come forward as well, because I want to have... So, uh, everybody stand. Sorry, it's like this. I've never done this before. I don't know. I don't understand this. Um, If you feel like it, And you have cash in your pocket. And you want to hand cash to Bonnie. I just feel like that's a really weird thing. But like that wouldn't be bad. And she would just take it and put it in her pocket. I just feel like this season. She might need a little jump start. So if the Lord's putting that on your heart. I know a lot of you don't carry cash. But just something. So prayer folks if you come down. I'm going to give you a second. Come on. Come on prayer folks. Don't be afraid. Just Let me just reiterate. um, If you've made a new commitment to Jesus first time, come and see me. I'll be right here. If you are ready for a refresh, our prayer teams are here. And come on down and surround Bonnie. So for those of you who are online, we're going to sign off and um, bless you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for tuning in. We love you. And uh, we just ask that the Lord will bless you in every way. So we'll see you next week. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness and grace. And even as we pray and dismiss, I pray that you would remind us, Jesus, that you are above all things. You are the creator of all things. You are the one who gives our life purpose, meaning, power, and love. And so we choose to walk in those things and your things in your ways. Thank you for dying for us, Jesus. Pray this blessing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.